So for all the listeners joining us for the very first time, definitely have a listen back to episode one as it will give you a bit of a background as to why we're doing this podcast. But in a nutshell, City Island has teamed up with the Wood Studios and Three Bears Entertainment as their artists have been affected by the current crisis. In each episode of this series, Home, we're joined by various creatives to raise money and awareness for charities and artists affected by COVID-19. And these said creatives will be sharing their journeys and Spotify playlists also. So guys, we are back for episode four of the City Island podcast. How are we all feeling? Hey, yes. Good. Good. I can't believe we're episode four, to be fair. It's crazy, right? It like, is. It's come it's out. Crazy. It's moving so quickly, moving fast. But Moving so quickly. We've had unbelievable guests on um, and today... We are joined by no other than international DJ, journalist, and all-round, I'm going to say all-round entrepreneur, Lily. Lily, how are you doing, love? Yeah. good, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, right? I know. It's good to see your face on Zoom. It's true. It's little box. (laughs) No, it's wicked. And do you know what? It's, It's interesting because I suppose you're normally, you're normally interviewing, but now you're in the hot seat. It is weird. And then I kind of, I don't know, I talk too much. So I actually think it's better for me when I'm an interviewer because it's limited. So just to warn you. <laughs> no, no, but this is good for us because we need, we want all, we want all the information. So it's, yeah, <laughs> it's all good. It's going to work out. So listen, you're constantly, constantly on the grinds, making new opportunities for yourself in an industry, you know, that's constantly, constantly evolving. How do you find a moment or just time to like, just be still? It doesn't really happen, to be honest. Um, I mean, or I'd say, to be honest, the, the good thing for me is that a lot of my work is quite enjoyable. You know, there's yeah. nothing that I do that you can really complain about. It's not like my job is, you know, cleaning or anything that's like, it's not at all like tedious in any way. You basically mm-hmm. spend your day speaking to musicians who you usually like, and then playing music, um, reading about music, which obviously I love too. So yeah. doing research, being online, checking out new artists. There's not a moment of it that feels like work. So when I do chill out, I mean, I, I like to read. So I often mm-hmm. do take a little minute to read a book. I'd say that's my main chill out thing that isn't work-based or cooking. Okay. But really, I wouldn't okay. say there's a huge difference between my personal life and my work life. They're just meshing mm. all the time. <laughs> What's your, um, what are you What are you reading right now? What are you cooking? That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Reading-wise, okay, so I tend to read more than one book at once. Um, so yeah. at the moment I'm reading, I've actually started, it's actually, a, it's a book about a, a Zodiac serial killer in Japan in the, wow. so it's like in between the 1930s and the 1970s, yeah. uh, which is wow. amazing. It's a really wow. good book. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I'll yeah, tell you more about it in person. But um, And then I also I just finished a book about a woman who was kind of like a white woman in the south, uh, in like New Mexico, who ended up kind of living with the Apaches, uh, like the Native oh. Americans. Um, so, yeah, I like I like a lot of fictional. fictional? I just so, yeah, so you're not, doing, you're not doing light reading. <laughs> this isn't no, light reading. This is, it, oh, this no. is quite heavy. I actually, so I, I've read about 15 books in lockdown. I'm, I'm not a light reader. Wow, I'm wow. a big, big, heavy Love reader. It. That's wicked. Like like that. (laughs) Okay. Well, do you know what the good thing is? At least you don't have to carry it around. Exactly. Exactly. Because I'm not a Kindle girl. I'm a real book girl. Oh, you're a real book girl. (laughs) (laughs) And cooking. um, I've actually been cooking. um, So sorry to anyone that doesn't like pork, but you can do vegan ones. Um, I've been making sausage rolls from scratch. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 
and I have oh, Yorkshire pastry. luxury and everything. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, and that's nice. the, yeah, that's my new, I can't live without making my, them myself now. I'll never buy a sausage roll. <laughs> yeah, that's the good thing about this whole lockdown situation, because I suppose it's yeah. forced people to kind of go back to basics and exactly. actually learn how to do stuff. Yeah. Rather than yeah. just going to M&S and just, you know, buying a, a your week's shopping, you just have, you can actually, yeah. you know, do things from scratch. So wicked. So moving on from the cooking, <laughs> as, as interesting as that is, moving on, I just want to know, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about Viper. You started that in 2015, 30, is that right? It's, it's seven 30. in October, yeah, but we did, so the magazine started as a print one um, mm-hmm. in 2013, but then it was like a website in 2015 and like, yeah. so it kind of was a real established platform then. Right. But the first okay. print one was like a zine in 2013. Mm. Nice. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a long now. time ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time Scary. ago. But what? What was? I want to ask you. What was missing from like other magazines? Jump. I found so. I found that so. I grew up reading like the Source magazine when I was. I was yeah. getting imports of the Source when I was about eleven. I remember Eminem was on the cover of. It was like so. I always call Eminem like the gateway drug for like white kids getting into rap because he literally. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. I've muted this girl. <laughs> So I ended up basically, so yeah, I was buying the source and I learned as at, you know, the age of like 11 or 12, I was learning about like the, you know, the CIA's involvement in rap and like, you know, drug epidemics, like uh, the crack epidemic, like the 80s, uh, learning about like civil rights movement, Black Panthers, which I thought was like a really important thing if you're going to be a fan of rap music. And I find Mm -hmm. that like, as it got into, so the the 2010s era, I just couldn't find a a publication that was telling me not only what rappers listen to, but like the cultural angle of rap and like hip hop music and like, you know, even just like, yeah, black culture in general, it's like, there's a lot more richness to it in, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the music scene when you understand the history. And I just didn't feel that anyone was telling me that. So when I started to pick up magazines, that was there and then it wasn't. And I just felt like there needed to be a magazine that did what I'd uh, what I'd grown up on. Yes. So it was my yeah, made amazing. from start. It had to have a cultural angle, a social angle. So we had articles about like violence in Chicago in mm. our first issue. So Speaking about, you know, political angles in rap was something that I just felt had gone. So that was why. And it was also um, around that time. So I interviewed a rapper called Danny Brown in 2010. Yes. Um, I'm sure many people. How was that? Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Um, but it was my uni magazine. So I was like, okay. yeah, uni. And I was like, oh, this rapper's great. Let me see if I can interview him. And I just sent him a DM on Twitter, like, you're my new favorite rapper. And he was like, mm. and like said I could interview him. So, and then like. And he keeps still. <laughs> yeah, was, I think it was the FaceTime. He was very still, actually, not FaceTime. Right. Was like, what I mean, was it iChat, whatever it was called before FaceTime? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he ended up. Yeah, we did this interview, and then about a year later, I was working for SBTV, and I was um, on a flight with Jamal Edwards, who had gone to New York to do interviews. Yeah. So flying back, and Double XL magazine is telling me about the rapper that I interviewed for my uni magazine, and I'm like a little white girl in London. How am I telling other people about this this wow. rapper a year before yeah. the biggest rap publication? So personally, I. I just felt like I had a role to to make to make that happen, and I also felt that there weren't any um, good cover stars anymore because the same like ten rappers kept rotating. Whereas I yeah. felt like a chance the rapper or someone like that deserved a cover. And at the time, getting that, yeah. Mm. Who's your most memorable? I mean, I'm sure you've got thousands, but uh, yeah. who's, what's your most memorable interview? Mary J. Blige. Oh man. I was gonna, <laughs> 
Yeah. That's just, what I was just I was gonna ask yeah. you that question. I was like <laughs> when I read your when I read your Wikipedia, I was just like, oh my god, you can yeah. be Mary J. Blige. I was waiting for like Is Mary J. Wu Tang. Oh yeah, Wu Tang. I've I've uh, had some very funny moments with my instance. So Raekwon sang somewhere over the rainbow to me, which was incredible. Wow. Um, and that's wow. on video. I can send you the link to that. You can actually watch it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Love but the that. thing about so yeah, Wu Tang definitely came very close. But the thing about Mary J. Blige, so I asked her. I said, um, well, you can watch this into this is the SBTV one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not in it, but um, you can kind of hear her answers. But so I said to her, you know, you everyone cries to your songs when they break with someone what did you cry to and no one had ever asked her this question wow. which is mad to yeah. me yeah no, that's a really good she, question <laughs> she like burst out laughing and like she was like re- real like prim like perfectly poised with lights on her and her hair all in place and when I asked her that question she like went ah and like laughed and like came <laughs> became human and it was like I felt like I'd broken through to someone that obviously has been mm interviewed a million times like how do you ask her oh, a question no one great. else has that yeah. really was very special but she's, but she's such like a, a force, legend man. yeah mm. the force i saw her in concert in at wembley right. and i cried from beginning to end i never thought i would mm-hmm. do that never yeah, ever she's thought insane she just she's magic, touched me yeah. so deeply man just incredible yeah exactly she yeah, did a gig in um abbey road studios with disclosure <laughs> it was crazy wow <laughs> unbelievable really good so you've kind of answered the question but i was gonna ask you how you prepare for an interview because like you say like there's so many so many interviewers out there and these people are just they're just sitting there and they're just hearing the same questions thrown at them time and time again like what's different about your approach I think, so I, I watch a lot of Nardwa interviews. I think Nardwa is a really great interviewer because what people, I, one day I, I hit my, the nail on why he's so, why he's unique. Nardwa, he, by giving people a gift and making them, um, he, he kind of taps into their music knowledge. And what Nardwa does is he makes every artist a music lover more yeah. than a, an artist. He t- like kind of takes away the whole, um, like ego of who they are and he just like he disarms them and makes them into a natural music lover and that's mm. something that I don't think I'm as good as Nardwa but I try and make sure that I appeal to them as a human and like a, an actual like lover of music as a creator mm-hmm. so that's that's really important to me that I make sure that like I'm not asking the same questions as everyone else for that reason because I'm kind of uh, in a way I guess I speak to them on a level and I do find that like especially because the way I look like I think one being female and two being white I think a lot of people expect me not to maybe know as much as I do so mm. like one of the first questions I asked Raekwon the first time I interviewed Raekwon so mm. I think one I do I do a lot of research um but I also really know the people that I'm interviewing usually so mm-hmm. so and then, and I, I also, one thing which I think is really important, which I always recommend to people that want to do what I do, watch an interview with the person before you interview them because yeah. you get a gauge of their energy and who they are. Yeah, and you definitely. You can't always get from reading. Absolutely. Yeah. Interviews. How do you deal with, with people that just, you know, you're not getting anything out of us, like kind of like blood from a stone kind of thing? Watch my young dolphin, Key Glockens. So generally, I just keep going and I kind of keep smiling and I really try and think of the question that's going to pull them out. So I try and go for something that's going to be like, like even with the Key Glock and Young Dolph thing, I just ended up asking them about cars and that's the most information I got out of them because they didn't want to talk about like what inspires them or like the music side. Also, yeah, finding something that they want to promote. So like, for example, um, Young Dolph, he has a record label. So actually when I started to talk about his record label, he wanted to promote, he immediately started talking more. So, um, but generally, so yeah, there's not a lot you can do in that situation besides not lose your call. Cool. That's what I do. <laughs> Try and stay calm. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. For the 
younger generation coming through. Yeah. Um, I just, I think that, you know, having a female, like a positive female role model is like imperative right now. Mm-hmm. What would you say, or who would you say, sorry, was your female role model growing up? There's probably a few because there was a point when I kind of, so I was, you know, doing a radio show, DJing and running a magazine. And there wasn't really anyone that had done all of those things in a way. Um, but I do feel Angie Martinez is someone that I've looked up to a lot because, so Angie Martinez was doing, at, I think one point when she, I think it's maybe when she moved to power, mm-hmm. by the way, Angie Martinez got like one of the most record breaking deals when she moved to power, which is when I was like, yes, get that check. Yeah. Right. <laughs> also is the woman who broke sadly broke the story of Tupac's uh, death so she's actually been quite significant in rap she weirdly had a music career as well which wasn't that bad Um, but she also I think she was doing at one point like I think she was doing like five hours of radio a day and I was doing like I remember doing like seven hours of radio in like a I think a day once and just being like wait Angie Martinez does like maybe I did like five hours of radio in a day and I was like Angie Martinez does this every single day Mm. And it made me realise just how much like she was I working. I think there's quite a lot of female editors of like The Source and XXL. Like even currently, XXL is edited by Vanessa Sutton. But growing mm. up, I found it really interesting that a lot of women were actually editing these magazines. There's mm. also uh, Miss Info. She was a writer for The Source for quite a long time. Miss Info still has a blog. Uh, I believe she still has a blog. But she's a, a New Yorker. And she actually was the one that gave Nas five mics in the source, which up until then wow. had never been done. And she had to ah. really argue, like, this album deserves five mics. And it was automatic. Of course it did. Like, <laughs> so there's, there's quite a few women. But I do feel like in many ways for me, it was like almost the artists themselves. Like Missy Elliott is kind of like a hero to me, even though I'm not doing oh, what she yeah. does. I think because recently I was talking about these these battles and someone was like, oh, Missy Elliott needs to battle someone. And I just said, no one can battle Missy Elliott, who made the beats as well as rapping. And yeah. see, <laughs> and like styling herself and the videos like yeah it's so yeah. great i saw such an interesting thing like there was there was a thing with timberland the other night where he was actually saying he would step out of the room like when she was <laughs> talk, she was doing a thing she would say leave me alone you know yeah. and she was so particular apparently in all those earlier records like freak like me mm-hmm. all those kind of things that everything had to be so like microscoped and to her mm-hmm. taste yeah. which i found fascinating because i thought it was just timberland dropping a beat on a you know on yeah. and going, okay, do this. So yeah. you can see there's a real mind behind then, a real like attitude. Mm. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah. And not, not enough people know she's a producer as well. That's why. And also yeah. I think that's another thing. It's like, she's so amazing. She doesn't even shout about how amazing she is. So, and still mm. going to like so this, good. she's just dropped still a really great album. Yeah. yeah. So, so, good. so yeah. Good. And still looks as fresh as it was 10 yeah. years ago. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. She's We're still finding great. out like what she said on like, is it uh work it? Like she's still, yeah. she's still shocking us. Like. <laughs> but even, and like, I really felt that. So, I mean, in rap, they act like, you know, women are pitched, pitched against each other a lot, but actually mm-hmm. Missy Elliott, do you remember ladies night? Like Missy Elliott was always bringing yeah, women yes. through. Um, yes. Another one I will say, by the way, is my mother, Mariah Carey. Oh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Mariah Carey, she actually is for me, I think. So Mariah Carey refused to release a lot of her songs unless they had rappers on the remixes. And she really right. pioneered like bringing through a lot yeah. of rappers in a very commercial world. Like, so people like ODB doing, you know, the fantasy remix, like she fought for that. And the, the yeah. story is incredible. Like, go and find that on the internet. But there's a lot of things that she did that she didn't have to in terms of making rappers like, I guess, socially acceptable in the world, you know, in the commercial world. Mm. And I, I respect yeah. her. Well, 
mother. My real mother was also an inspiration, yeah. but, but Mariah Carey is my second mother and I love her. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. good to hear. Yeah, no, I didn't even, you know, what I said? I didn't even, just thinking about Mariah Carey now, I'm thinking of all the tracks, like The Roof. Mm-hmm. There's so many of them with just, mm. yeah, you're right, with just the remix with various rappers. It's a really great meme that's like Mariah Carey and then Mariah, and then I think it's, it's Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson surrounded by all the rappers. There's that one picture of him. And people are like, Mariah Carey songs, Mariah Carey remixes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <love that. laughs> so Lily, you mentioned your mother being a huge inspiration for, yeah. to, for you. I'm just going to just curb it just a little bit. But before then, oh. what's the blocks that made Lily? How did you... What was your come up? What were you doing? Um, where you? What's, what's the background? Where are you from? So I, I apparently I'm a Cockney because I was born within the sound of the Bobos. I was born in Homerton Hospital, East London. Okay. I was about to say E5 Bang Bang, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> so, uh, so I grew up in Hackney and actually like my first home is weirdly, if you've ever seen an NSG video, it's a block of flats that um, NSG mm-hmm. got a lot of, like, of their videos there. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, that's it. It's the Bovar Estate in Hackney. And then I pretty much grew, grew up in Hackney and Islington my whole life. I did a year in Hornsey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I kind of, I grew up in a very like mixed area. I went to a state school. Um, I actually went to the same school as Labyrinth. He was the year below me and Professor Green was like a few years above me but I don't remember him at the school labyrinth I was friends with um so yeah I basically went to a very good school for music and for like state well not state performing but we had like a really like Adam Deacon went there as well there were a lot of actors and singers and rappers that did really well that came out of my school also there's a, a producer called Inflow who was in my year who's worked with Little Sims so yeah there's a lot of really great people that came out of my school and it was a very like I never felt like I felt very aware. It's, it's interesting because of what we're, you know, what's going on in the world right now. I never felt like, um, like, like cultural appropriation was something I was fully aware of as a teenager, but I never was made to feel ashamed of me loving rap music. So mm. it was a conversation between, you know, me and many of my like peers in class. Like we'd all, I'd bring the source in and usually someone else would take it and I'd get it back at the end of like, you know, the class. Mm. Like <laughs> we'd kind of share, you know, CDs, people would burn CDs for each other. So the conversation in music was, it was definitely like around race, but like, I feel like I was very understanding of race at a very young age. And like, I grew up with a lot of different races and stuff, which I'm so grateful for because now when we're seeing these conversations go on, people being, mad ignorant it just doesn't make sense to me Mm. Um, so yeah I feel very lucky to have had the upbringing I had and also to have kind of I have very liberal parents who weren't together for my whole life they broke up when I was like not even born but they're both very hardworking and very very like uh, entrepreneurs uh, they are both entrepreneurs uh, I can't even say the word how can I be (laughs) entrepreneurial people thank you (laughs) so my mum actually started her own company and she um she owned a film library which has been I've inherited so basically she collected like archive films oh um, wow and a lot of documentaries that you watch where they'll have like black and white footage or not Mm. even black and white stuff but she would often I'll watch a documentary and at the end I see my mum's company's name so she would like look after the footage yeah so like even if she's got like I mean like I don't, she doesn't own it because it's some of the most obviously the most expensive picture in the world. But she's got like right. Martin Luther King speech. You know, there's a lot of he had that she would. So I yeah, and also like so when I was young, I was about thirteen, and um, I was asking my mom questions that obviously I'd heard someone shout someone out on a song, and I was like, you know, who is Bobby Seale or something like that. So my mom actually would buy me books on Black Panthers, and she bought me the autobiography of Malcolm, uh, Malcolm X when I was like thirteen. So wow. she was very much like, that's what I mean about that magazine thing about like magazines having to speak on the social angle of it and the cultural angle. 
that mm-hmm. is important to me because for me, I was listening to like Tupac, for example, saying all these people's names and wanting to understand like what had happened, who they were like. And I think it's it's weird to me that people wouldn't want to know that, like the history of it. Mm-hmm. Or even, like the actual Sorry. movements that led to a slightly, I wouldn't say more peaceful time, but it's like, you know, the breakdown of like all of these like boundaries that were there in like, you know, mostly America, but even in, in England too. It's like, I think it's really important important for anyone that's into the culture to understand like the history and the struggle before it mm-hmm. so I'm just Absolutely. glad that my mum like embraced that. Lily this brings you to our next question you being such a, a well-versed um multi-talented creative um you ventured into an, being an entrepreneur yourself tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurism. So I did it kind of not blindly I'd say maybe because of my parents both you know like to set up their own companies and like so I was 11 when my mom set up hers so in my head I kind of always thought I would run a business of some kind <laughs> I actually did a fashion degree I forgot that part but I did a fashion journalism degree so I just <laughs> came out of uni and was like this isn't my world so I just went and did music with it but it was kind of something I, I think within so yeah about five years after I finished oh no it's only three years after I finished uni that's when Viper materialized but I was quite lucky my degree course was how to make a magazine so I'd kind of already made a magazine. Wow. The Great. step into doing it again wasn't too difficult, but the hardest bit is printing. So I had to borrow a bit of money from my dad's, which was how I did it. Um, a smart person, if I was to maybe, I don't even know if I would do it all over again, like differently, but if I was to do it differently, I probably would have got some funding properly and I probably mm. would have like got, done it with someone else. Um, I did it completely alone with just my own like naive, like I wouldn't say ignorance. It was kind of like my own like, like, you know, what do they call it when you, you just like blind, have a blind sign? Blind, blind yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, this is going to work. Of course it's going to work. And right. I think being Sagittarius <laughs> helps a bit because I just believe my own hype so much. So I was just like, we got <laughs> this, guys. Signs. We like yeah. <laughs> The fire sign thing, it's like, and especially yeah. that's probably the passion as well. When I'm passionate about mm. something, I'm like obsessive. So, but yeah. yeah, it was like something that, I mean, I was seeing a guy at the time who he was like in music industry and like basically he was just like, of course you've got to do this. And I was like, yeah, I guess I should stop talking about it. I took about a year planning, which was probably a good idea. I planned everything in terms of like Viper has colors, uh, tra- like the, the kind of keywords, like which is how you're supposed to do it properly. I think any brand should know inside and outside what they are, what they represent and what their image is like, you know, what words, what values they stand for. So I took my time doing that. Then came with the kind of whole magazine format, which actually hasn't changed much. And then we just like basically started to create. So um, I did, I, I mean, over time, I haven't done it all entirely by myself. And like a lot of, I've had friends come and like assist me and like basically be my kind of co-editor. I've had like, you know, a team build over the years. Some some people on my team now, I think have been within Viper for probably a good four years or something. And like, also, is there a digital on. version ever of it? So this is the thing. So we've been print the whole time. We're about to be digital only. So I hope anyone that's got their copies held on to them because yeah, they're going to become slightly rarer. Collector's <laughs> <laughs> items right there. Exactly. Um, and I do plan to like at some point do books as well. So where we're going to take the print magazine away and release digital versions, there will eventually be coffee table style books as well. Something like your, your Def Jam one. So, yeah, so good. Uh, get I've, been, I've been subscribing <laughs> to this thing called Flipboard as well. I don't know if you ever ah. subscribed to Flipboard, which is a whole bunch of digital magazines. So everyone oh, should check amazing. it out. Very ah, nice. It's becoming like, because I, I found something called Press Reader. I think I was getting a flight and the flight basically offered you free magazines on this, yeah. this Press Reader, which is a similar, it's like a kind of a library of magazines you can exactly. download. Yes. Um, but it's just because, I'll be really honest with you, like making a magazine is, is physically 
like I mean, I remember getting like every nail breaking, carrying boxes to shops. Like I used to be our <laughs> delivery girl, you know. It was like it's very physically draining to do a print magazine. Sure. Very heavy. You have like the day after like the print. I mean, <laughs> we had a launch party once. I think I had about four hours sleep. Woke up still drunk, and then the, the magazines arrived. <laughs> 30 boxes Brilliant. outside my house they didn't even put them uh-huh. like on my doorstep they were in the street on a pallet so I had to go from the wow. street <laughs> on my house like with wow. like a box at a time there were about 40 boxes wow. so yeah in ways that's another thing that I kind of you know think is a plus to, to not have to do all of that but, but I just think nowadays digital is you know digital is essential now the reason I didn't do digital in the first place was just that I felt that as much as Viper does have a unique kind of selling point and it is like a you know an individual magazine I didn't feel that it would stand out as much if it wasn't print. So yeah. I decided to do a print magazine from it. Um, and I, I think that was, yeah, I wouldn't have changed that. Because I did a lot of research on like boutique journalism and like how magazines were, like, because I went to a fashion school and did a, do, a degree course in journalism where they told us you'll never work for a magazine, you'll never work for print. Yeah. And being wow. rebellious, I went and started a print magazine. Love but, like, that. Love that. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so <laughs> they good. genuinely thought we'd never work for print because it was dying. But like boutique journalism wasn't dying and magazines like Monocle and like there's a few magazines that they kind of sell to a very unique group. They'll yep. keep going because those people want to buy it. And, you know, it's kind of like vinyl almost, you know, in the music yeah. industry. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I said that to someone once. If you keep saying magazines are dying, but CDs like um, didn't live as long as vinyl. Records have uh, yeah. outlived CDs. Right. So don't tell me that. Very, very, very good point. Books will murder Kindles, I swear, one day. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, yeah, I just think it's a really important thing to have something physical. And like, I mean, even though we do feel digital is the way forward now, I wouldn't have changed that at the time. Yeah. So listen, Lily, I've said this before. I've probably said it in a few of the podcasts, but us Brits have have taken to this pandemic very lightly. (laughs) Initially... Initially, we took to it very lightly. And then before we knew it, it was lockdown. Yeah. And that was it. What, what was going through your mind when officially we were told, that's it, you're indoors, it's done? It's weird. I had it slightly different. So I actually had a two-week lockdown before everyone else did because I went to Italy in the week that wow. they said, if you've been to Italy in the right. last like two weeks, you, you even if you have no symptoms, you have to stay home. I actually got yeah. a corona test in that week, way before lockdown. So this was like, oh gosh, last week of February, first week of March, I was on lockdown. And then the real lockdown started about two weeks later, mm. um, which is quite strange. So, but to be honest with you, like I did do, I did some, you know, I got my food in and I got, you know, the things I needed to do, I got done. But mm. I was kind of quite looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> so I was talking to someone at the beginning of lockdown and we were kind of joking about how this is, this is quite, you know, enjoyable. We're, but we basically are quite reclusive anyway. And they were like, oh yeah, yeah. you're a professional hermit. And I was like, yes, I'm a professional hermit. I love being <laughs> in my space <laughs> with my work. I love having a stack of work yeah, company. and no plans. Yeah. It's like, mm. you know, and especially it's like, even I work, like I do work sometimes like 10, 12 hour days, but like the last chunk of the day might be in front of the TV, you know? So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I I wasn't really too. I mean, for me, it's a bit different because I, I definitely felt the effects of it. I, like, I have anxiety. My anxiety got worse because they chucked closed my gym, so I couldn't really yeah. like mm-hmm. get the same tension yeah. out that I was used to. So feeling, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. like, and the whole experience of COVID. I think I saw a really interesting article at the beginning of the lockdown saying that feeling that you're feeling that's that's grief. 
And I mm. sent it to a few friends who I've lost my mother. My friend had lost her dad recently. And we were just like, yeah, this is exactly what it feels like. If you're not sure what it's yeah. like to lose a close family member, it's this. Mm. It's like you spend mm. weeks in your house at a time. You don't go to clubs. You don't see friends like that. You kind mm. of, yeah. you become very reclusive. So it's actually something that sadly I was kind of not to, not to oppose to. I was quite familiar with in a weird way. And before actually we were on the line, you were telling us that you've actually discovered a couple of new things. Yeah. Ask yourself. Through lockdown. I've, I've discovered quite a lot about myself, to be honest. And I've also become, like, I don't know, I think I've become a much happier person. I Honestly, it sounds, sorry, this is, like, not therapeutic. I'm, I'm like, talking to you guys like you're my counsellors. But I've, this is the first time <laughs> I've been happy in about four years. I haven't been genuinely right. happy in a, in a good, good few years. Uh, so it's kind of been, like... I guess, in, like, because of things like that, like recognizing how lucky I am, and like recognizing that you know, there's, I don't know, there's a lot, a lot of, That's yeah, a lot a of wonderful things. That, you're almost like going back. You're basically sure. like stripping bare. It's like yeah. seeing the, the core of you, which it's is true. like for most people either really scary or it can be a really positive thing as well. Mm. It's true, and it's it's been interesting. I actually, one of my friends passed away while I was in lockdown, and uh, I even oh. had one of my friends found out she has breast cancer. So it's been it's been a really really like not fun time in in personal ways. But it's it's how taking those things on has made me realise kind of my own growth because before I would spend weeks crying and not able to do work and not focus, and mm. actually now I'm kind of like taking those things on and like actually still functioning. So. Yeah, that's some, that, that means a lot to me because, yeah, it's kind of, but like I said about with Viper being on hiatus in ways, um, when I was grieving my mum, now I feel like I'm, the, the bounce back is fully here. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you think that like when we go back to, when we eventually get back to normal, that you'll probably, you would have enjoyed the time in lockdown and the reality of going back to like, you know, your, your normal workload. I mean, I don't know if your workload's increased or not, yeah. but how do you, are you looking forward to that? Uh, it's a hard one. I was just basically saying before we went, um, before we started recording, I need a holiday. So I kind of need a lockdown oh, yeah. from lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but because of that, I think, um, I think to be honest with you, I don't see my life going back to normal the way it was before lockdown. I don't think I'm going to live as high paced and I don't think I, I want to like spend so much time. Like, like personally, I feel we spend a lot of time traveling to and from meetings where we talk about things that all could have been handled yeah. in one 20 minute phone calls. And like, Absolutely. I'm going to just basically calculate what I'm doing and what needs to be done in, mm -hmm. in person and besides that I'm not going anywhere I'm just going to be I'm basically going to extend my lockdown so yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people are, this, are feeling the same they've realised they don't actually need to do half the stuff they were doing yeah, yeah. so it's just you know cut that off so Lily tell us today which charity you're going to be donating to I'm going to be donating to a charity that uh it takes care of young people who are caring for sick parents or sick or elderly parents um, because it's something that I think is very important to me having cared for my mum and just to have you know to give someone a bit of an experience outside of quite stressful life of looking after someone that they love that you know they're seeing in pain and you know hurting then on top of that they're still having to juggle the regular life that you know everyone else is doing so for young people I think it's really hard to actually enjoy your life when you've got such a heavy um, pressure um with looking after a parent and I was quite lucky that I was doing it in my 20s and it was still very hard so yeah I really respect young young kids and teenagers that are doing such like heavy burden things so look we're six months into the year which is crazy I cannot believe it what is next for Lily 
Um, we actually have quite a big uh, Viper issue dropping very soon. So Viper's being a bit quiet and we are coming back with a fashion issue. So we're going to be releasing Viper magazine as always. But then mm-hmm. in between issues, we're going to have a fashion magazine come out. So it's kind of a bit like how you have like GQ style and GQ. It's kind yeah. of like focusing more on like the fashion side of things because I feel, yeah, I just feel like Viper has quite a cool angle and there's a whole scene of quite underground and, you know, streetwear-based brands that a lot of people um, don't know about yet. So we're going to, yeah, be releasing that. We've got three cover stars and the covers are incredible. I'm actually so excited to drop it. Um, so you'll be finding out very soon. But we did just the last one just the other day and it was incredible. Yeah, so that's what I'm really excited about. We're going to be doing a lot more video once lockdown, well, once we're free again. So there's going to be a lot more coming from Viper. And then I'll be doing some DJ mixes. I've been doing a lot of live Instagram interviews, Mm -hmm. which um, has been amazing. I've done probably about close to 10 now on mine and Viper's page. Um, So yeah, I've been very active. So that's going to keep going. But I'm excited to interview people in person again one day soon. (laughs) So you DJ, you run a magazine. Um, Is there anything or any apps, any go-to tools that you use that you can recommend for any creatives that are listening to this that they can get into right now i'm quite big on i do use quite a lot of adobe products um so i actually it's weird i do a radio show and i self i record it um by myself and i also edit and produce you know put the whole thing together on, on audition um and that's something that i find really empowering um it's something that because i've done I, I did radio for i think it's about eight years now i started on rinse fm in about 2011 2012 and then i went to nts for a year and then because my show was like monthly on nts i kind of missed doing it weekly so now i do it weekly in my house and just literally put the whole thing together and put it online and i think it, I mean, it's, I love how it sounds. It's actually like something that by editing it myself, I just have full control, sorry, full control over. So I think that like for me personally, if I, I say to people a lot, like if you want to do what I do, there's not really anything stopping you from doing it like yourself without like a company behind you. Like I have worked for some big companies, I worked for like Beats One and Apple, you know, and then I did Rinse and NTS and SBTV was like my first job. So I, I don't know, I just feel like, in terms of like you wanting to get a chance in the industry or you wanting to get into like a certain company, I just don't think you have to really like keep, I don't know, you shouldn't keep applying for jobs and stuff instead of like just physically doing it. So I know that sounds a bit weird because you might think like, well, what's the point of me doing a radio show in my house if three people are going to listen to it? But three people will very quickly turn into more if you promote it and stuff. So personally, I think like there's not any excuse to wait for someone to give you a chance like in today's world. You have to really embrace it and you have to like, and this is the whole thing about entrepreneurship. No, I didn't. I messed it up. Damn. <laughs> I thought we had it. <laughs> I was like, let me try it out, see if we got the word yet. But, um, but I just think like you can't really say that you're an entrepreneur until you really do take like the ball by the horns and just go and do it yourself. You, and you also, the other thing is you learn by, by your mistakes. So if you're doing radio in your house on your laptop, you will very quickly learn how to do it good. But if you're going into a company like that doesn't really have the... I guess the energy or the patience to, to train you up, then really that's not going to last, you know, it's not going to turn into a career very quickly. You actually really have to practice to the death before you get into the industry. So personally, I would say that that is something that if there's anything you want to do, DJing, radio, um, presenting, 
Like if you want to present, then you should be standing there talking to your cat like this every day until you're the best producer or presenter that that cat has ever seen. And like, that's just something that like, in terms of like knowing and studying your craft, like the whole, um, I love Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours is a real thing. So I just think like, you have to really like invest your time in something. And like with me, I've like, so when I started, so I was doing SVTV doing interviews. I've, then went to Rinse and I started Viper while I was, no, I started Viper just before I was at Rinse, but like it didn't come out until after. And then I added, so I was doing magazine, radio, then I started DJing, then I started kind of presenting. And then I, I mean, I don't even remember if there's anything else I do now. I'm so combined my job. <laughs> but it's like, it kind of helped me in, so I, went, I was describing it to someone once because I was a bit frustrated that I hadn't just started work and gone and like was making it like, you know, as a, a big person. But then I realized it was like, well, actually what I did was I planted like five seeds that are now all growing like this. So it um, could have just grown one that went like that. But instead I grew five that all together are growing very slowly because they're sharing the water now. So <laughs> they're like all actually things that I feel that I'm, you know, I've almost, I say I've done 10,000 hours as a writer. I'm like, um, I'm a sick writer. I write cover stories for Viper because yeah. I just know that I can do them. But that's something that I'm only a good writer because I've done 10,000 hours of. I'm only good at talking on radio because I've done 10,000 hours of. DJing, even I don't think I've done my 10,000 hours yet. I'm still getting better as a DJ and lockdowns help that. So personally, I just think like, if you want to do something, you should basically do it every day until you're the best. And if you're not going to do that and you don't want to do that, then don't do it. Like, And the the only way you're going to do it really and get the bad bits out of the way is by doing it by yourself. So mm-hmm. as long as you have physically the, the, I don't know, I'm lucky I've got a controller, I've got a MacBook, I've got, you know, an Adobe subscription. Those things do cost money, but maybe you go out and do your side hustle, like, or do get paid to do your stuff and then invest in your side hustle. So mm-hmm. there are ways to do it. It doesn't have to be something that you, you know, need to have family money or anything to do. You kind of just need to believe in yourself. Lily, it's been a pleasure. It's been amazing having you on the show. Some really insightful bits there, which I'm sure loads of people listening again will, you know, take away with them, we hope. hope <laughs> Thank so. you so much. Thank Thanks, you very Lily. much. Thank you Thank for you, a great Lily. interview. I enjoyed it. My name is Lily Mercer and this is my City Island podcast. Another amazing podcast, guys. Lily, thank you so much for your time today. Dante and... T- hey! Team. Thank you. It's been Thank amazing. You.